This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Kia ora and welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally McMillan and this show is brought to you on behalf of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. Today I'm talking to artist and educator Steve Peru about his career trajectory, the value of adult education in art and how teaching art to others teaches Steve himself almost as much. But first here's DPAG Society President Ross Curry with the latest on the Dunedin art scene. This is Snapshot. Ross, what's happening at DPAG at the moment? Well, sadly, the Robin Waite exhibition is finished, though the good news is you can see it again in the Christchurch Art Gallery from July the 22nd. But there's still lots happening at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery this month and much more to come. The show of Francis Hodgkin's latest works from the gallery's permanent collection continues until July the 23rd. And Peter Robinson's show explores concepts, materials and ways of seeing. This show has certainly been stimulating and thought-provoking, and witty as well, and the drawings on the wall are part of the conversation. The gallery also has a biennial programme featuring contemporary local artists, and on July the 22nd, Suite 2023 opens with works by Kate Fitzharris, Madison Kelly, Motaka Kikawa, Jane Venus and Hannah Joint. That's very promising. And take us around the local dealer galleries. Ross, what can we see there? Well, Joe Lestrange has a show at the Brett McDowell Gallery from July the 17th until August the 3rd. Now, Joe has a strong following in Dunedin, and a recent exhibition at the Hockham was hugely popular. The current show is called Workers and Flowers, and one standout painting focuses on the recent demolition of the hillside workshops. It'll be interesting to see how mm. she brings those two things together. And on the subject of uh, flowers, uh, I think those who love garden paintings may well be interested in taking a trip to Gore. That's right, yes. The Eastern Southland Art Gallery in Gore has an exhibition of botanical work from their collection. It features work by Shona McFarlane, Elizabeth Stevens, Joanna Paul, John Z. Robinson and Kathleen Salmond. And from their permanent collection, Brian Poole's fine aquatint botanical etchings are also on display. Both shows are open until July the 30th. And if you want to get out of the garden and into the forest... Well, if you want to do that, get down to Murray Gallery where Kate Williamson will transport you to the shadow and light of the forest, which she captures on her large, multi-layered works. Kate is Waipuri-based, and no doubt the local environment is an inspiration for her work. Her show opens on July the 8th. Also in July, emerging artist Paul McLaughlin has an exhibition of spectacular engraved acrylics at Milford Gallery and Philip Maddell is showing his meticulous graphite drawings at Olga Gallery in Murray Place. And I hear that Dunedin Railway Station will be a hive of creative activity in July, Ross. That's right. The Otago Art Society is holding their 147th annual exhibition at the railway station from July the 1st until the 22nd. This showcases members' work across all mediums. All works are for sale, often for very reasonable prices. So get down there and add to your home art collection. Thanks, Ross. And now it's time for our feature item. (music) 
This month on Sightlines, we're talking art education. Our guest today is Steve Peru, a true creative, having morphed from being a professional dancer to a professional artist to now being both an artist and a teacher of art at Otago Polytechnic, Te Pukinga. Steve, welcome to Sightlines. Thanks for inviting me, Sally. Can we start by discovering something of your pedigree? Because I think you have art in your DNA. Yes, well, my mother's been an artist since uh, the whole time I've been alive. And still is. She's still, she's a pastel artist. It's uh, Anne Wilson, I believe. Yeah, Anne Wilson. She works in Canterbury. And I grew up just never questioning whether I would do art. I just mm. must have got the bug at a, at a young age. I, I remember she did a portrait of our neighbour and it was such a stunning likeness. It really blew me away. It's quite a vivid memory. And another memory of when I was about 14, her having, I think it might have been her first solo show, especially after uh, having young kids, you know, obviously we'd grown to a certain age. And I remember thinking if I can do art this good, then I'll be happy. Fantastic. Mm. And I think she homeschooled you when you were about six for a while too. Yeah, that was actually in Fiji. Mm. And that's uh, why we, we were homeschooled. We, pretty much all we did was art. This is going to say heavy <laughs> emphasis on the art, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. So you, and at high school, did you have any influential teachers that also... Yeah, I was just really lucky to have Gavin Bishop for my whole time at high school. I do remember when I was in third form, there was a, a, another girl in my class and I were the only ones doing art and the 30-odd other kids in the class, fairly rough school in Christchurch, having a crayon fight and they just crayons were flying above our heads <laughs> and we were bent down doing art and I think the teacher just loved us for it. That wasn't Gavin's class though. Yeah. So you left school eventually, left yeah. the crayon fights behind yeah. and came to Otago Polytech Art School. Yeah, so yeah, I just... I had to choose between Christchurch and, and Otago and I wanted to leave home and I guess the surf was a bit of an attraction <laughs> and I came yeah, I came to art school here. What sort of decisions did you have to make at that point in terms of how you, what, what area of art you were going to pursue? Well, at art school it's still like that here. You do every subject in the first year you get a bit of a taste for everything and then you have to major. In second year I had to choose between uh, printmaking and painting and I remember the painting teacher at the time really wanting me to do painting, that was Wally Crossman. And But I, I chose printmaking and Chris Young was the head then and, and Tom Field was the other lecturer because I was very attracted to the machinery and learning it and mastering the processes so that's what I that's what I majored in. Okay, and that's mm. carried you through to the work that you do now mm. at Tapukinga, which is mm. well, I'm the I'm the technical teacher. Uh, I was the technical teacher in printmaking, and for the last uh, three or four years, uh, I've been the technical teacher in painting. Right. Yeah. So, but w- when I got the job, I, I, after I graduated, I went away, and when I came back ten years later, the printmaking technician had resigned, and I would just because I'd majored in it, I was... Slotted straight uh, in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But somewhere along the way, I think in about your third year, um, other aspects of your education in the arts started to take uh, precedence. Yeah. Dance took hold in theatre and singing. And that dates back to my mother taking me to Lim's Dance Company in Christchurch when I was 15. And I've still got a vivid memory of walking out after that show, feeling like I was walking on my tiptoes. Almost like I was levitating yeah. or something. 
I think practically everybody that went to Limbs yeah. came out feeling that way. <laughs> it was the heyday. It was yeah. uh, Mary Jane O'Reilly, O'Reilly and mm. Douglas Wright was just in his early days. Yeah, yeah. amazing. So, people. so that uh, that stayed in the back of my mind, and then it kind of reignited while I was at art school. And by third year, I was doing theatre at Otago with Lisa Warrington. I had joined the university dance group. It was called Dance Arts. And so after that, yeah, dance dance became the thing. And so art got shelved for a while, but I think mm. being in New Zealand also got shelved. Yeah, so I, I applied for dance school in Melbourne and I had to choose between going to Wellington or going to Melbourne. And again, I just felt like getting even further away from home just for the reason purely of adventure and uh, so I trained at the Victorian College of the Arts in Melbourne Mm. So in a way um, I think your creative self had evolved at this point and you ended up as I understand it being very involved in the creative process at the Australian Dance Theatre Yeah, yeah. so graduated from dance school freelance for a while in Sydney got a job uh, with the Australian Dance Theatre and the director there was a woman named Meryl Tankard who had been a star with Pina Bausch company in Germany for many years and the way that Pina worked and also the way that Meryl continued to work was to ask her 10 dancers a question at one question at a time sometimes it was just completely random oh one question was uh, just purity you know and we'd come up we'd, we'd have maybe have half an hour come up with a response and then one by one we'd do our response she'd sit up the front take notes and then you know she that was that was how the process all started right so mm. in a way the perfect synthesis of all of your artistic talents I think that's why she liked me I wasn't you know I wasn't the world's best technical dancer having started pretty late and not being very flexible but I had studied art and I had studied theatre uh, and that. It was a very much a theatrically based dance style mm. that she, that she mm. was good at. Somewhere along the line, uh, the body started letting you know that this was, you were here for a good time, not a long time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it, just when I turned 30 or 31, the pain started um, to not be worth the payoff of performing. I mean, mm. we'd been travelling all over the world, you know, incredibly exciting, performing to large audiences, mm. really a collaborative form of art being being a dancer it's, mm. it was really special but time had come so yeah I okay. retired as a dancer Had you been doing art all the time that you were dancing? No, no I hadn't at all when I travelled I would go to art galleries but uh, we, the, the partner of our director Meryl was a black and white photographer uh, he was French Regis and he would take photos of rehearsals and the beautiful art photos. And I remember, you know, having great discussions with him, but I never made art. So you've finished dancing because mm-hmm. your body's telling you that's what you need to do. Yeah. What do you do? Well, we moved back to Dunedin. My wife is from Dunedin, mm. and we decided that we liked Dunedin better than Christchurch, so which is where I'm from. And so uh, her, it was just a case of serendipity her um, youngest brother who was is prof- has been profoundly deaf since birth had just started in his first year at art school and they couldn't find an interpreter for him so 
we shared the job. My wife could already speak sign language and I was a graduate from the school, so we did that together and um, that's why I was there in the staff room when the printmaking technician resigned. And Marilyn Webb, who was the, one of the lecturers at the time, looked at me and said, you can do it. Well, how's that for serendipity? Mm, it was it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And the rest, as they say, is history. And so somewhere along the line, having been a dancer and having this innate understanding of the human form and having been an artist and a practising artist and somebody who understands how to paint and how to do printmaking, mm. you've managed to bring those two things together mm. and now you teach life drawing mm. at at Otago Polytechnic Art School. Yes. How have you come to regard being a night school teacher? What is it about that, about teaching adult people who mm. haven't necessarily gone through the art school process? Right. How do you inspire them to draw? What is it that you love about that? Right. Well, I mean, for a start, drawing, life drawing specifically, has just been a constant for me. Uh, maybe it had something to do with that memory of watching my mother do that, this incredible likeness of my neighbour. I did life drawing at high school. Mm. I, it was a big thing for me at art school. Audrey Tucker was one of the main teachers then, who was fairly infamous sort of a life drawing teacher, in the Europe, very much in the European tradition. And so, the night, and then, then the night classes started because a student at a high school, at John McGlashan High School, um, I, was, I was just there doing a workshop in printmaking, and he said, oh, can you start a night class, drawing night class? And I said, okay, sure. And Were you not a little bit suspicious of a teenage boy wanting <laughs> a night class in life drawing, No, Steve? I, I wasn't, Sally. It <laughs> must be very naive. It didn't occur to me at the time. And that's another funny thing about life drawing, is you actually forget about the naked thing. Yes, an ODT reporter actually came and modelled for us for about three classes to write a story about being a naked life drawing model. And really, when you're the person drawing, especially even if you're you know only just started after five minutes, you're really just looking at form. It's a mm. much more natural um, state to be in than just being scantily clad. Anyway, so it's I about think. the form, isn't it? The yeah. combination of shapes rather than the fact that it's actually a body. That's right. Yeah. The reason that life drawing is common to all the disciplines in art, right across sculpture, even jewellery, everything, mm. is um, because you're practicing your observational skill. You're drawing what's there in front of you. Yeah. And so, back to your question about how do I get adult students to get it with drawing. I try and emphasise that drawing's not about being, you know, technically clever. It's it really starts with seeing and seeing what's actually there in front of you. Um and then the marks that you make, they can be quite crude, but if you're seeing very clearly, directly, honestly, um, even the crudest marks can be deep and profound and mm. um uh, almost like visual thought. You've, you've, you've talked, I think, about how in order to express that thought visually, you yourself get into a sort of meditative state and mm. that you encourage your students to try and reach that same state. Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah. 
I really like the emphasis being on the process and the experience of of making art or of observational drawing. So students can be actually terrified of making mistakes or doing something bad, in inverted commas. And so I try and focus them on the process by saying it's like it's a no results kind of a process. Sometimes we'll do, especially with a short drawing, we'll rub it out at the end with a rag and draw over the top so that you know while you're drawing it's not going to be something that lasts. Mm. The drawing is, is simply a byproduct of your physical practice. Isn't there a Michael Smither quote about that? Yeah, the, uh, the, the process is the fire and the painting is the ashes. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, and so I really relate to that because yeah. it's, the painting is just, it's the byproduct of something that you experienced. And if you're really keyed into that, it, it, it takes away your fear a little bit. I imagine that uh, your students must take a while. That's something that you could only achieve sort of by, by, by experimenting with it, by doing it. It's not something that you can yes. just snap into. No, no, that's right. Um, it's a, it's a time-based process. Mm. Your gains are made through repetitive practice. A little bit like a physical activity, you know, you practice um, football. Mm and over and over and, and dance and so that's another reason that I connect with life drawing is because it connects me straight back to my dance yeah. history it's like I didn't waste all that t- 10 years training and, and uh, you, you know. were just preparing for what you're doing now well there's a lot of transferable skills yeah. so you know the the body is the um, instrument in dance but in life drawing it's the it's the vehicle mm. it's the subject and also it's a there's a class structure in dance. You, you every morning you start with a with a class, a dance class, and you actually don't feel right unless you've done that dance class. Art doesn't really have an equivalent thing, but if it does, it's life drawing. It's technical. It's the technical discipline. Hmm. I think a lot of people who are listening to this, if they're from Otago, will be very familiar with Otago Polytech night classes. A lot of people yeah. have done them. They're pretty famous. Is, are there yeah. other Polytechs in, in New Zealand who still offer that? The night class aspect, yeah, yeah. not many. No, there's a lot of, there's a, uh, in the North Island there are a lot of private ones. I recently just did a comparison to just make sure our prices were right. Management required me to, and then we had uh, someone. I think it's from Unitech um, down uh, monitoring our BVA course, and he talked to me about starting up night classes themselves because they just seemed um, to to augment the degree program really well. Mm. People mm. use the night classes to test out. They don't, they're not testing out the art school. They're testing out themselves to see if art is something that they like enough to commit to actually studying a degree. Do you get a lot of people who have perhaps done art at school, maybe haven't felt that they were good enough to pursue that as a full-time career, but mm. still want to come back and perhaps dabble? Oh, yeah, that's the main yeah. The main body of students are in that category. They, they loved art, but for whatever reason, it might have been confidence, it might have been a, often probably a parent saying... How on earth are you going to make a living and support a family if you do art? Yes, well, we had a, uh, I interviewed Geoffrey Harris last month and that yeah. was exactly his experience. That's right. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's very common. Uh, and we do get a lot of parents coming through with their kids and we try and say, look, you know, if you study art, it's it can be very broad. 
it can develop incredibly transferable skills, um, make, it can make you think. Like I was saying about drawing, it, it's not necessarily being technically clever, it's about how you think. It's very much, very much um, a, a thought, physical process. Yeah. Mm. And I think you've said you started with one class, but you've now, I think, got 18 classes, right. ranging from mm. life drawing, printmaking, jewellery making, ceramics, mm. um, an amazing array. Mm. Does having those classes running augment the, the art school in any other way? Well, I would say it builds a, a great community of people who, you know, they're not, they're not interested in studying full time but they love art, they love that we've got a great thriving art school mm. and they can be a part of that art school. We have an annual exhibition if you're a night class student and so it supports the art school in that way. It, um, a lot of people, they decide, oh, actually, I do love it and I'm going to study full-time, supports the art school in that way and also it supports the thing that, I, that, that I need in art school is so strong and is having studios, you know, we're the only ceramic studio left in an art school, the only jewellery, hardly any art schools have life drawing classes anymore and so by 200 plus people coming through a week at night it's like this uh the people of the night <laughs> using all the studios it's um that's it helps us maintain our point of difference from other art schools well i guess you have such a lot of amazingly complex and expensive equipment down there too that has mm -hmm. to justify its existence i do say that yeah. is also helpful from a tertiary funding point of view yeah well that is it is a good example of that is ceramics you know we're the only ceramics department left in the country we've just had a new building purpose built by polytech for ceramics and it was just again serendipity there's an international ceramics craze going on. You can't get into the ceramics night classes unless you book a year in advance. And and we're at capacity, we can't start any more classes because we've already you know, yes. using every available time. Well, we spoke to Clive Humphreys a few months ago and he talked about the um, Otago Polytech, I don't know what the technical word for it, but this is a sort of outreach programme um, that takes yes. place on Waiheke Island. Yeah, the distance programme. And hugely popular, hugely yeah. popular. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And I guess that takes us back to you, teacher of art mm. and artist. Do you learn yourself as an artist from being a teacher? Oh, yeah, tremendously, yeah. Peter Belton said to me it's a, it's a great secret that the teacher learns more than the student. And I learn from my colleagues. You know, we share books. and I mean, a colleague just, just gave me a, a life drawing book this week and that I, I hadn't even heard of, and it's... It's from the 1920s. It's this amazing book, which I'm going to, you know, it's probably going to become a bit of a Bible for me. Mm. And also just helping students get through the emotional aspect of preparing for the end of year exhibition, for example, and seeing that they, they get into a quite a, a keyed up state and knowing that I can watch that happen with a, all the perspective of being an outsider, but knowing that it happens to, to me as well. So then when it does happen to me, I can be a bit calmer about it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. In your own art career, you've, you've been quite prodigious. I think you've exhibited every year for 16 years until recently. Where mm. are you at with your own work currently, Steve? Well, I've been focusing on my teaching more than my art making in the last couple of years. But my gallery is the artist room and, and Michelle Jorkins-Lingley is my dealer and she's, she's like an agent or a sort of a, a supporter as, as much as a dealer. She 
she guides me a lot and gives me a lot of encouragement and um, so I'm just instead of having a show every year I I'm just slowing down and taking stock of what I've done over the years and just focusing in on what is it that I really want to do sounds like a, a good plan mm. So finally, Steve, what would you say to those listeners who might need some encouragement to take the plunge into Polytech art classes? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say listen to your intuition and, and go with it. Yeah, you won't regret it. You might see me there next term. That'd be great, Sally. But for now, thanks, Steve, for talking to us today. And thanks to you, our listeners. Join us again in August for another dive into the visual arts in Dunedin. If you'd like to hear today's show again or listen to previous shows, you can find us on the Otago Access Radio and DPAG Society websites. And don't forget, if you'd like to join the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society, again, get onto our website and join up. We'd love to have you. Thanks to contributor Ross Curry and producer Jonathan Quayoff. I'm Sally McMillan and you've been listening to Sightlines. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.